Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we uh, confess with St. John that these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're your hosts. I'm Thomas Lemke. And I am Pastor Eric Brown, and we are uh, coming to you. I I feel bad, Thomas, because I'm excited because we're going to be going through the crucifixion. And and it's it's a, a great passage of John, a great wonder. But it's like, oh great, I get to talk about Jesus being crucified. It's just sort of like I, I've had too much energy and anticipation of this. And Understandable. Sort of mixed emotions, man. Mixed emotions. But but we are coming on some fantastic theology. It is the the high point of of the Gospel of John. The in fact, I'd say the high point of the history of the world. So. So it's going to be good stuff. So anything cool. we should uh, discuss or, or talk about before we dive on in? Uh, maybe a, a second of recap because we're kind of jumping in in the middle of some things. So Jesus right. is still before Pilate. Right. When last we met, um, we are going to really kick up again and, and dive in from uh, ni- John 19, verse 12. And this is basically where where Jesus and Pilate have been talking and, and Pilate is convinced that Jesus has done nothing worthy of death. And moreover, I think I think Pilate actually was enjoying dealing with Jesus. Sort of the 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 enemy of the people who constantly annoy me is my friend, almost type of thing. Fair enough. And uh and we're just gonna pick on up where where the idea is Pilate is really gonna try and get Jesus out of this, and it's not gonna work. So let's start off with uh verse 12. Okay. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. All right. Now we're going to, I want to pause there and just reiterate. This shows really the the hard and fast politicking that is going on with Jesus' death. Uh, In Rome, there was a a group, it wasn't quite a political party, it was more almost like a, a social club called the Friends of Caesar. Okay. And basically, if you wanted to advance in the empire, you had better be in this club. It, 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 you can almost think of it like a like an old men's club or something like where you, you see like the old uh, cartoons or movies where you have like the men sitting around in, in smoking jackets with a, a scotch and a, a pipe and surrounded by books. Oh, jolly good. It was almost the Roman equivalent of that. And if you wanted to get into a position of power and privilege, you had to be in there. And so when they say... Uh, if you promote the, and everyone who, uh, if you uh, release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. It's basically we're going to get you kicked out of the club. Mm-hmm. A- and um, uh, how how gently do you think they they kicked you out of that the clubs back in those days? Um, as gently as a spear thrust or a maybe nail to the the cross that we're about to talk about. <laughs> well, think about it. if you had been Caesar's friend. But then show yourself not to be Caesar's friend. What have you become? Caesar's enemy. Caesar's tangible threat. Because you've already demonstrated that you have ambition and you want power. But you're not willing to play ball with Caesar. So therefore, you become a liability. Mm-hmm. So so again, this is, this is basically... Uh, we don't hear this right and think, oh, this is this is a big deal. But they're basically saying, you either kill him or we will see you dead. Because while we normally make our stink to you, we can shape our stink so that it goes above your head and gets you. 
and then the next guy will do this guy in too. <laughs> so, I mean, Pilate really is politically defeated here. He is backed into a a uh, political corner. So, all right. All right. Uh, how about we then do a uh, carry on? Okay. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now, Thomas, I am going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has vexed uh, theologians for for centuries, if not millennia, why does John call this the day of the preparation for the Passover when the night before Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room? Mm -hmm. What's going on here, Thomas? You know, with all my study and apologetics, you would think I'd have the answer on the tip of my tongue to that one, but I haven't really brushed up against this one enough to have studied studied it in any depth. So I look forward to hearing why. All right. Are you ready for, for Pastor Brown's handy-dandy simple answer? Let's do it. Um, what does John say at the beginning of the gospel when he sees Jesus coming? Behold the Lamb it's, of God. What are we saying when we say that Jesus is the Lamb of God? He's the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. That that it's the true Passover. So when John says, look, he's brought on the stone pavement. It's the day of the preparation. Well, yeah. Hey, when, when, when do you kill your animals uh, the for the Passover? Preparation day. At the at at the edge of sundown on the day of preparation. Mm -hmm. Oh, when does Jesus actually die? Well, they notice the sun is setting. They don't want to leave him up. So what do they do? They kill them right before sundown. Uh -huh. So John is not literally speaking about the calendar flow of, oh, well, well, actually, actually the Passover was a different day. And According Matthew to and the Luke Talmudic traditions. Yeah, okay. Right, right. No, no he, he's saying, no, the real Passover is happening. You, you had the, the former Passover that was pointing forward to this, the real Passover. So, so it, it, it's not trying to organize calendar dates. This is saying, all right. If you really want to know where where the lamb is killed, so the, and his blood is put upon us, and and, and death passes over, it, it's right here. Mm -hmm. This is the true Passover happening now. Very cool. So does that work? Yep, works for me. And and even as this is happening, you have the ultimate sign of disdain, with the 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 chief priest answering, "We have no king but Caesar." Now. Thinking on the Old Testament, the history of kings of Israel, mm -hmm. why would saying we have no king but Caesar be such a a slap? Okay, uh, so several slap reasons. In God's face. For one reason, I mean, certainly it could be said they have no king currently seated, if you will, right, or any right, kind right. of the kingship. You know, that kind of ended back a ways before the, uh, well, during the, the Babylonian captivity to an extent, and then mm -hmm. in and out, and blah, blah, But, uh... So, so that's a slap in the face to the Davidic line to an extent, but it seems like the bigger slap in the face goes all the way back to pre-kingship, right? Where they right. wanted a king and God said, I'm your king. What, what gives? 
Right. I mean, this is the this is one of the things that comes up if you read the beginning of First Samuel, where where basically Samuel is the last of the judges, and they've been ruled by the judges, and and they're like, we we need a king. Everyone else has a king. We yeah. need a king. And, and Samuel's like, dude, what what is it? And God tells Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me because I am their king. Yeah. Because the whole point of Israel not having kings while everyone else around them had kings was because, hey, we're, we're the holy people of God and God is our king. Hey, so, so, and then what do you have? You end up having God becoming, all right, I will be, a, I will be your king still and I will come from this line. So, all right, I'll even use the kingship to, to point forward to me. Mm-hmm. So, so to begin with, knowing the Old Testament, the idea of, of really our, our true king should be God. That that that's part and parcel. That's the commentary that is given, even on the whole kingship. So even as you're looking for an earthly king, that that earthly king is to be a reminder of the heavenly king. And yet, what are they doing? They're crucifying one of David's line, the promised Messiah, so as to serve an earthly king. So I mean, it it it, it, it is a low. It's not just. It's not just a matter of we're switching our allegiance or something like that, but but I mean this is this is playing off of of centuries and centuries of of background behind it. Mm-hmm. Ba- basically, you can almost think of this as um, all the entirety of the Old Testament is kind of funneling down right to this point because this is where everything is leading to. So, thoughts, questions there? Oh. You know, too too many to go into. You've kind of blown my mind a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, well. Okay. I, I'll do this because we we have a little bit of time before the break, yes. and so that way we don't move on to the next part of the narrative. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to and driving to this day, mm-hmm. this moment, this Good Friday, Genesis three. Uh, I, I will. I'll put enmity between you and the serpent, between your seed and and his seed, and and he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. All that type of stuff. Yeah. This is it. This is this is the serpent, the devil who once overcame by a tree, likewise by a tree shall be overcome. Type of stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we we sing that in the liturgy, and and everything is driving towards this. The the book of Ruth drives towards this because that's how you get the Davidic line. That that's that's dealing with the the promise given to Abraham, circumcision, driving to this. Uh the the Ark of the Covenant, behold the mercy seat. Hey, where does he sit down? He sits down in a, a seat, in the judgment seat. Oh well no, the judgment seat's gonna be replaced by the mercy seat. Oh it, it's all driving to this because this is the moment of history. This is the place where the, the the hinge upon which the entirety of of creation, the the entire story of the universe, revolves around and hinges. The Lamb who was crucified before the foundations of the world. This is where it comes to fruition, and everything's going there, and it's it's going to be replete with with wonder and irony. We could probably find, I should say, probably we would be able to find in every book of the Old Testament, something that drives right to this point, to this paragraph, which is kind of a neat thing. Mm-hmm. Everything, and, and in fact, I, I'd argue in pretty much every book of the New Testament, you're going to find the proclamation of this point too, aren't you? True that. So, I mean, I mean, really, this this is, if, you, if you've ever done some cooking and, and you've reduced a, a liquid to intensify its flavor, mm-hmm. 
like you like you take your broth and you're going to reduce it to stock or or you, your drippings and you're making great. This is the gravy of the scriptures. This is it is reduced and condensed down into the finest, most power packed oomph. And even as his people reject him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, because he does what needs to be done to win salvation, even for the people who reject him, especially for the people who reject him, because that is what his love drives and compels him to do. And as John points out, he does this willingly. He could have escaped. He could have stopped it. Could have stopped it. Could have stopped it right here. <laughs> Snaps his finger into the angel army showing up and start. Killing and slaughtering. No, <laughs> they were no, good at that. No, 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 doesn't do that. He he could say, no, I, I I choose to not have the angel of death pass over you miserable jerks. Instead, I'm gonna let him come on down and have go to town. All right. Nope. It is the day of the preparation of the Passover. And so they will go prepare him and take him to the Passover. All right? All right. Shall we hit break and then come on back and, and yes. ponder more in life? Yes, I agree. All right. All right, have a have a good rest, folks. And we are back on the Gospel Boldly podcast, and we're we're going to move to that uh, segment of the the show that we call the Backwards Life, where we we take things that come up with Christianity or or what have you, and we we approach them from a slightly backwards, different angle than what you may be used to. So. Thomas, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, this article that I found before we started, I, I initially asked you about it until we decided to go ahead and air it on the show, because I'd like to get your take. I, I'm not sure what a backwards approach to this would be, but this article details something that happened yesterday in Florida, where uh, an individual went on a rampage, killed a couple of people, and uh, how do I make this? You really can't tone it down in any way. Tried to eat, eat the face off of face. one of Yes. <laughs> one of the the victims. And in reading this article, it was just interesting to me how no drugs have yet been found in this system. They've done some of the preliminary tests, ruling out opioids, marijuana, cocaine, um, methamphetamines, things of that nature. Um, Although they're still waiting on on, uh, some other drug tests to come back for some, you know, other things. Um, He displayed higher than average levels of strength, probably because he was very muscular, but he was, you know, tried to be subdued in, in multiple ways, like a, a dog. They tried to use a police dog. They tried to subdue him with uh, tasers multiple times. Wouldn't right. work. Um, found him grunting and uh, and making animal-like noises as it took four officers to drag him off of the, the body of his victims. And so here we are waiting for toxicology reports to come back and find out exactly what's going on with this guy. Again, I don't really know how to ask the question to phrase it in a backwards way, but what are your thoughts on the situation? It's, it's very strange to me. All right. Now, I'll put it this way. Normally, we hear this, and, and Thomas, what are you thinking? What's the thought that's going through your head? What is your explanation for what is happening here? Well, as you know, I, I stray very, very hard towards naturalistic materialism. It's an inclination I have to, to consciously push myself <laughs> back away from. So my first inclination in something like this is it's got to be the drugs, man. They just haven't found any yet, but that doesn't rule out that it was something they just, they're still waiting on, on you know, extra stuff. Right. But, but as I push myself back away from that, I note that when he was first captured 
and hauled in by the cops, he gave them a fake name instead of giving them his real name. And I just had to wonder if that name might be Legion. Okay. Now, he, here will be my backwards approach. Okay. Are, are you ready? Go for it. One of the things that happens is we confess as Christians that there are such things literally as demons, mm-hmm. that, that, that there are supernatural forces. And, and what has become common in the world is, as you noted, a, a naturalistic, materialistic, where everything is just scientific, repeatable. There, there's nothing supernatural. Mm-hmm. So the normal thing that happens when we come across an article like this I think is often that that as Christians we will prepare ourselves for the the giant debate as to is there a logical rational explanation or is it supernatural is it is this going to prove the presence of the supernatural that type of stuff right I'm going to say it doesn't matter either way behold the backwards approach for okay. the day cool. uh, Thomas is the story any less horrific if it turns out uh, there was some random pharmaceutical that shows up in his bloodstream that had a weird, crazy reaction that they weren't expecting? Would the story be any less horrific? No, the outcome's the same for those involved. Would it be any less demonic? And by that I mean, is it anything less than, than sinful than, than that which would make Satan cackle with glee? No. I mean, certainly the outcome, again, is the same. Well, if it turns out it is an honest, legitimate demon possession, does it make it any better? No, certainly <laughs> no, no. not. Uh, so, so it's one of the things where, where generally, unless, unless I am, unless the fellow's in my spiritual care, where I have to like figure out, okay, is this chemical or do we do an exorcism type of thing? Right. Unless you're there, it doesn't directly matter. And so often we will almost want to look for or get tempted to try and debate and prove something to be a spiritual event so that we can use it as a a, a magic bullet, a, a, a wedge to lever in. All right, see, now there's a supernatural. So buy my supernatural take on, on things theological. Um. That's not the gospel. That, that, the, the way faith is given is not by me proving that there's things your science can't understand, science boy. <laughs> but, but it's proven by the Holy Spirit working faith when and where he wills by the proclamation of the gospel. So, so in some ways, what happens is we ourselves will get distracted when we when we hear such things, when when we try to to focus so much on the reason and the rationale, and and we can almost make a hard and fast distinction between you're the science naturalistic people over there, and we're the Christian and, big gap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of one of my favorite comments that I, I heard in class. Uh, I was taking a, a mythology class with Dr. Ralph Doty from the University of Oklahoma, who was one of the most wonderful, cynical, sarcastic, snide men I've ever met. Brilliant <laughs> man. And, and someone in class had gotten off on a, a thing basically trying to assert that the, the ancients were primitives and they had such silly beliefs because they weren't all scientific. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, yeah, they were so silly. 
I mean, they had the the idea that there were such things as diamonds or, or demons with that that were these invisible things just floating around the air that could enter you and make you sick and hurt you and harm you. But now we're we're sophisticated and modern, and 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 we know that there are such things as germs, which are these invisible things that you can't see with the naked eye that are floating around the air <laughs> that can enter in you and make you. It works the same way. Now, this is not me saying, oh, there's no, na- again, we want to hear that and go naturalistic, super, well, really, whichever way it is, we're not going to be able to just pick it out and see it. The effect is going to be the same either way. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter specifically unless you're dealing with, with that, that fellow's direct spiritual care. Who, who sinned that, 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 the, this man, that he was born blind, the, this man or his parents? Well, neither. You should repent. Uh, or were, were the people of whom the Tower of Siloam fell on more weak? No, no, no. The, the trying to parse out the, the mechanics of what specifically made this thing go bad, unless you're right there and dealing with it directly, it doesn't matter. But rather, it should be a reminder to all of us that we are in a sinful, messed up world where we are not the masters, we are not in control, and that we live solely by the grace and gift of God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we should, whether it is a natural explanation or a supernatural explanation, either way, we live in Christ. So does that work as a backwards take? Was that the take you were expecting? It was not. All right, then it it counts. So yeah. What what I'll say is this: Don't let yourself get painted into a corner, or think you have to debate yourself into a corner. Remember who you are. You are a Christian who receives the good gifts of God, life and salvation. You were baptized, and you know what? You proclaim the good gifts that God gives. Everything else in that is is secondary mm-hmm. and not of not of first import. That's fair. That work absolutely. All right. So now now I'm going to tie this in. So Thomas is the crucifixion a demonic act? By, is by there, those standards of definition, I would say yes. Oh, it is both demonic and utterly logical, rational. I can talk about the historical things going on. Mm-hmm. I can talk about cultural social things. And yet what else is going on as well? The death demonic of, activity. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 ooh, 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 I'm going to take this even another way. Maybe, okay. maybe this is a place where that simile kicks in, where we want to make mm-hmm. a distinction between, between natural. No, 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 no. Maybe that whole, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. Maybe that's not as hard a distinction. Maybe sometimes it's more both and. Sometimes we are, things are, are natural and supernatural. That, that, that there's a logical way for getting stuff, but yet God is behind it. There's a logical reason for things happening, yet Satan is pushing on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am both sinner and saint at the same time. Ooh, how'd you like that? Was was that mind blowing? Well, no, it doesn't have to be mind blowing, Pastor <laughs> Brown. It's simple. All right, get to the get to the stuff. All right. Cool. Well, well, having talked about that happy face eating time, let's go dive into the crucifixion. <laughs> yes, such a right. chipper episode. <clears throat> All right. Let's see here. Looks like we stopped in the middle of the verse. Right. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. All right. Now, this is just matter of fact. They take him out to the place, and they crucify him. 
Uh, you get other details in other places that, you know, like the nails and the, the criminals and all the dialogue. Mm-hmm. But John's already said this is the point of the preparation of the Passover. So they are diving in. John's crucifixion actually is relatively short. So, so you just have this moment. All right, he's been crucified. He's got two by him. All right, and let's go. Then we turn away in John from looking at Jesus and we look at Pilate. So if you would read uh, 19 through 22. Okay. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So he does a blog post and people start trolling and complaining. And in the comment section, <laughs> he just writes what I've written. <laughs> that, 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 if you were blogging, that might be, or, or doing stuff on Facebook, that might be a good response just to comment. What I have written, I have written. I've used but, that. Let, let, let me ask this, Thomas. Okay. So is Pilate making a confession of faith by saying that he is the king of the Jews? Is he making a political statement and warning in terms of, of uh, all right, you, you claim to be the king of the Jews and you're not Caesar. This is what's going to happen. Well, the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. It, it, it's a whole tangled web here. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of things going on here. And yet, and yet, it actually is the most accurate statement of what's going on. Because how does Christ Jesus take up his reign and authority as king. From his position on the cross. I mean, through his death, uh-huh. right? Moment of glory. Be, be, because again, the, the point of glory is, is the crucifixion, mm-hmm. is when he is lifted up, when he is raised up. So, so really, it, it's actually theologically profound and spot on. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. I think that's why John likes to put that in. Makes sense so. to me. All right, let's move on to the little next chunk. Okay. Uh, 23 through uh, 24. Okay. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, so they divided my garments among them, and my and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. All right. So what part of the scripture is quoted there when he, this is to fill the scripture where it says? What what scripture is that? No looking. You're looking it up. I'm totally looking it up. Why not? <laughs> uh, it would be one of the Psalms. Is it the 22nd Psalm? I am pretty sure it's the 22nd Psalm. See, I'm not looking it up. Well, I'm I, staking I, I my... I stopped looking. I couldn't find it because this... Right thing here is textually crazy trying to reference things just for just for fun the 22nd psalm is the great crucifixion psalm where it basically goes over what the crucifixion does and it's actually a, a stunning thing in fact in fact maybe next time we might start off with psalm 22 just for fun depending on where we get to in, in this one i like it but in your time go ahead and read it so but is it is it break time now um Yes, actually. <laughs> All, right. Call. All right. Then, then let's move on to break. But you have this, this 
John gets a little bit, look, we're fulfilling scriptures, even that little part, just see everything condensed in here, and we'll get back to the break and talk about the women. All right. And we are back in the Gospel Boldly Podcast. And over the break, I discovered Thomas wants to talk about clothing. All right, Thomas, <laughs> over to you to the, the Gospel Boldly fashion show well, moment. Well, see. <laughs> oh. that, that was probably not the, the lead-in you were expecting, was it? Uh, it was not. No, okay. it was All not, right. certainly. Um, no, I just wanted to make a comment on something that I, I it occurred to me, I guess, when I was researching the crucifixion for my own podcast over at the Kai Files recently. And that is the idea of Jesus's clothes being divided. I hadn't noticed or, or learned before because I'd always thought, you know, Jesus, why would anybody want his clothes? He's traveled all up and down the, the region there, sweating in them. They're probably torn. I mean, he's kind of this itinerant preacher. Maybe he had something nicer on for the Passover and so just retained that. But honestly, why would somebody want this, this random Jew's clothes? How could they be that nice? And uh, I discovered as I'm reading, they're actually Herod's clothes. Because in the synoptics, when Jesus goes to Herod, Herod sends him back clothed in fine clothes when he sends him back over to Pilate. So it's the nice clothes that Herod gives him that they're dividing everything over. They're like, hey, that's that's pretty cool. That's right, because they had mocked him and and put on all that that stuff on him. So yeah, that that actually is a great point. This is this isn't the beaters they're getting. It's the good stuff. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the things that the uh, the soldiers basically took as benefit. If you were on the crucifixion detail, you got to plunder the victims. Anything that was on them when they were taken, you could you could take it with whatever you wanted. It was there was no the family has the right. No 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 no. If you're crucified, if, if they've got something that I like, if they have like a little memento that I like, I can take it because mm-hmm. they're dead. They're done. This is this is utter degradation for them. Nothing belongs to them or anyone else anymore. Boom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this this would be almost like jackpot for the the soldiers. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, big time good stuff. All right. So now that the clothing, the very fine clothing from Herod's household has been divided, mm-hmm. let's continue on with verse 25. All right. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, "Woman, behold your son." Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. One of my favorite little Lutheran satire videos, uh, Pastor Feeney brings up this point that you've got the three Marys standing there. Mm-hmm. And and just people making fun of that. He goes, that really is probably a, an evidence that it's not fake. Because let's face it, if you're making up a story, uh, I believe your wife has started writing some fiction. Do you generally name all the characters the same name? <laughs> no. No, no. It, it doesn't let you keep track of them. But but in reality, if you're like in the Irish neighborhood, do you end up coming across a bunch of people with the same names? Yes. Definitely. So, Lots of so it's just like It's just like one of these nice little uh, uh, moments of realism that comes up. But anyway, you have Jesus saying to, to John, because you have the women there and then John, behold your, your son, son, behold your mother, the, mm-hmm. the passing over to John. And this is something that actually ends up playing out historically, at least according to the tradition, that Mary goes ends up going off to Ephesus with John. Mm-hmm. 
And you get a lot of speculation. Well, why would he do this? If if, if James is his brother, why would he wouldn't? Oh, this shows James. Basically, John's it, John wouldn't say this. He'd be too too pious and shy to say it. But basically, of all the disciples, John's kind of the one that like sticks around the most mm-hmm. here. And so basically, it's like, all right, you 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 take care of her because. You, you you get to you get to adopt her as your mom. Mm-hmm. There you go. So take care of it because you know I, I'm I'm not going to be. I mean, yes, I'm coming back, but it's only going to be like for forty days, and then I'm I'm, I'm out of here. So so you take care of mom, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a wonderful wonderful demonstration of Christ's humanity in it. The 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 visceral reality of things. And it's just a very nice point that that John brings out in in his account of the crucifixion that others don't have. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Let us move then, and and end the crucifixion. Okay, we're we're not taking very long to get through this. If you would just read through verse thirty. All right. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, "I thirst." A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Always have wine at Passover. Always have wine. But this is sour wine. Oh, hey, what else did you eat at Passover? He ate the bitter herbs to remind you of the bitterness of our time. All right. So he, 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 he touches the sour wine. And then... He receives the sour wine and says, what, Thomas? He says, it is finished. No, Thomas, you're Greek, boy. I'm I'm hearkening back to your Greek. What does <laughs> oh, he say in Greek? Didn't realize. To telestai. Telestai. Now, now, here's something that, that is important that we end up missing in Greek. That, that word for finished, uh, teleo or telestai is a loaded word that shows up all over the place in the New Testament, but we don't notice it because it's a word that is bigger than any other English word. How, what other ways might you complete, uh, might, might you, (laughs) might you uh, translate this, uh, this word? As your Freudian slip suggests, you could use it as a, it is completed or denoting a perfect completion or, or using the term perfect, you could even say, perfected it is per- so so a lot of times when you when you come across in the the other parts of scripture perfect complete finished it's all the same word in greek mm-hmm. because and, and and they're all really strongly related concepts even in english um if you are working on a project when do you stop working on it you stop working on it when it's complete mm-hmm when it's finished, when it's perfect, and then nothing more needs to be done to it. Mm-hmm. So, so the 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 idea is really of of a completed work that that it is all of you could even do accomplished. All right, Thomas, what is accomplished? What is perfected? What is complete? What is finished? Done. Um. <laughs> what? It done. It's it's. Stick a fork in it, and no, um, no. It's something that is. It's hard to define outside of the terms you've already used. It's something that no more, as you've said, remains to be 
Oh, no, 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 no. no. Okay, okay, well, okay, well, may, may, I, I might have cut you off too soon. Okay. Oh. But, but what has Jesus finished? What has he completed? What has he perfected? What literally, what, what's the it in that sentence? It is. There's probably a lot of answers to that question, too, that would all be correct, but we'll say salvation for shorthand. It is describing the completion of everything that is of any importance. Salvation, the the restoration of of life, redemption. Uh, You will hear John in in the letters of John talking about perfect love, cast out fear. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that perfect love is? Completed love, finished love. His cross, that's what casts out fear. Mm-hmm. Everything resolves down to the cross, and in this moment, everything that ever needed to happen in order for God's will to be accomplished has happened, because it all comes down to this one singular vital point. This is the point of redemption and forgiveness. Now, mm-hmm. um, Thomas... Uh, Instead of going on, I want to I want to wrap up the next few minutes here. Okay, okay. So so I, I will ask you. I, I I will say a few things. Um, you know, I don't like having having crosses in the church. Says the person that I've heard mm-hmm. because it's such a downer mm-hmm. reaction. Well, I mean. <laughs> that seems odd. Um, we call it Good Friday because it's it's good. I mean, he he rose clearly, so it's not like that's a forever situation. But the fact that he conquered death at that moment should mean something for our iconography. I would think, as this as we're depicting, like like all ancient kings depicted their victory over their enemies in some kind of icon to show for once and for all that. This is the victory I accomplished over this other person over here. That's what we're doing when we put Jesus on the cross in the sanctuary. This is this is one of the things where where we can almost end up finding this distasteful and want to want to shy away from. It. At least there's a a stream in modern American piety that that does this. Or or let's just have an empty cross because that shows that he rose. Well, no, it doesn't. It's still an emblem. It's an empty literature doesn't imply resurrection. Now, if you had a picture <laughs> of an empty tomb, that would. But, but but think about your your classic uh, Egyptian hieroglyphic type mm-hmm. art. If they want to show the 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 Pharaoh conquering, he's standing there with his foot on on the captive, holding a big club. Ah, yep. yeah. Or, or I mean, th- if you're showing the picture, showing the triumph, you're showing him conquering. Where does Christ actually conquer death? Right there on the cross, by dying himself. This is why. This is why when uh, when Paul says, "I'm determined to preach Christ and Him crucified," well, there's also the resurrection too, Paul. Well, yes, yes, but but there is no resurrection without the crucifixion, and and it right. all it, it, it's there at the crucifixion where it is finished. It, it it's accomplished. Everything now is going to flow as a matter of course because He has ooh flow. Remember that next time. <laughs> all right. It's going to flow as a matter of course because he has been crucified and everything wraps up into there. Everything comes to that point and everything in our life flows from, uh, flows from that point. Mm-hmm. 
Do we, Thomas, in America, give the crucifixion short shrift? Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm used to attending Lutheran churches, so I would clearly say no, but maybe as a whole. I mean, certainly in, in a lot of the, the, we can, I suppose, call them wrongly, I think, evangelical churches around the nation where you see sermons about, you know, Star Trek and, and uh, dinosaurs and things along those lines. But yeah, certainly. He, here's something that, that I, I, I learned, well, I had known it even as a young pastor, but it was, but it was a phrase to me in a, a very nice way. One of the, the old pious men at my first church uh, had said to me, I'd been there maybe a year. He goes, I like your sermons, Pastor Brown, because at some point in every sermon, you're able to point to the cross on the altar. Okay, and that was just one of the things I, 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 I've done as a matter of course. Generally, when I mention the cross, I point to the cross. If I mention baptism, I point to the font. I, that, that, you know, I, I like pointing. I talk with my hands. But it also laid out the fact that what he was really saying was in every sermon you get to the crucifixion of Christ because that's where everything drives to. And, and that's one of the things that that is a hallmark of proper theology. If you hear someone talk about theology and God and stuff and can go on and on and talk and talk and talk and never get to Christ crucified for your sins, Christ dying that you might have life, he's not getting to the gospel. And so, so my, my, my closing appeal to you as you, you go on out into the world and, and may end up moving around, going away from home, finding new places to be, do they preach Christ and him crucified? Are they giving you the gospel or are they giving you something else? And if they're giving you something else, that, that's not where you're supposed to be. Go and hear Christ crucified. Go hear it proclaimed that it is finished. Everything is finished. All that is needed for your salvation is finished by Christ here on the cross. No, nothing else, no ifs, ands, or buts. And so it's, well, yeah, Jesus died for you, but no, you've got to do this. Run away, run away. <laughs> All right, okay? Cool. So, so, so this is the gospel, and it is bold. Keep your focus there. All right? Cool. Have a great week. Enjoy your forgiveness. Christ has died for you. And guess what? Everything needed for your salvation, it is finished. Have a great one, folks. <laughs>